Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Father, in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's talk about anger. What are those things that make you irrationally angry? I'm not talking about like the legitimate things that make you angry. I'm talking about the irrational things. Maybe it's the kids leaving all the light switches on or you getting cut off in traffic or someone, someone uh, uh, leaving a mess that you have to pick up with, you have to deal with it. Uh, maybe for you, those things can kind of build and grow and they kind of, kind of stick with you. Well, this year, with, with everything that's happened, right, everything that's kind of kicked our collective butts this year, right, there's been more pressure. And those things that bother us, even those little things that bother us, they build and they grow and they feel more intense and it's harder to move on. It's harder to find reconciliation and forgiveness. And then you just think about all the the real legitimate things we could be angry about. And we have plenty of room to be angry. I mean, think about it this way, like the way that this this anger kind of stick with us. We can be angry at the news. We can be angry at opposing views. We can be angry on the roads and angry at the final episodes. Uh, we can be angry at those we know, angry at those that, that we don't know. We can be angry at gas prices, angry at our, at our neighbors. We can be angry at the polls and angry with the trolls, right? Uh, we can be angry about all this sort of stuff, and, and we can even be angry when we look in the mirror. We can be angry with ourselves. How many of you feel that, know that moment, remember that moment this past week, maybe already today, where you felt yourself getting angry? Now there's this, this poll that NBC News and Esquire Magazine did, and they surveyed 3,000 Americans, okay? And they found that half of them said they were angry today than they were a year ago. And nearly 70% of them said that they get angry at least once a day over something that they read or hear about in the news. And you know what the crazy thing about this study is? It was conducted in January of 2016. I think we've gotten angrier since then. I think the whole world's gone mad. But maybe, just maybe, there's a better way, right? So let's look at what Scripture says. We're going to look at what James has to say. James is the brother, the younger brother of Jesus, right? And he writes this in James chapter 1, verse 19. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Everyone should become slow to being angry. Maybe you've heard that verse before. I think we've preached on this. Like I've preached on this before in a James series a few years back. But, but he gives a reason for this, a reason why we should be slow to be angry. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What James is saying if that we truly desire to be in right relation with God, right relation with other people, to be living in God's best, God's righteousness, then we have to be slow to anger. Now, here's the truth. Here's what I believe, and here's what I want to see more of in my life. I think there's a better way. And over the next three weeks, we're going to try to examine this. We're going to look at this. Is there a better way for us to discover a way, a way and a, an existence where we're not so angry. So today we're in this new series. We're kicking off a brand new series called The World's Gone Mad, right? Like, I think that you can find some examples of that, right? You can find some examples of that in your own life and in our lives, right? And so here's our hope with this series. Here's our hope with this series, is that during this series, we will all learn some tools, some biblical tools to release our anger and find 
the peace of God. I think that's what we all want. And, and to kind of look ahead in week three, we're going to talk about being mad at them. Okay, whoever that them is, it's the people that, that are the outward things, the, the things that are outside of our, of our social circle, outside of our church, outside of our, our family. It's those on the outside that we have anger with. What do we do about that? And then next week you're going to hear from Keith, and he's going to talk about when we're mad at us, when we're mad at the other Jesus followers, we're mad at the other Christians. Now, that may not be your issue, but I know that's an issue. Uh, maybe you've been a part of the church where there's a lot of anger directed at one another. But today, and right now, we want to talk about what happens when we are mad at me. Because sometimes the person that gets the brunt the most, the person who gets all of the anger unfiltered, is ourselves. We point it right back at ourselves. We've all said, we've all done things that, that make us mad at ourselves. We have regret, we have guilt. And sometimes they're really, really small things, and sometimes they're really, really stupid things. A few weeks ago, we were having issues with our internet. And in this time, like, you have to have internet, right? So we couldn't stream, and our video calls were even more difficult than typical. I mean, imagine that. If you can't put your kid in front of Disney Plus for an hour, and so you can do some work, so you can get some peace, yeah, this is a big, big problem. So we would go and we would reset the router and the modem. We would do all the things that you're supposed to do. With my vast, in fact, inferior knowledge of all things technical, I knew enough to do that. But, but I got to this point where we would fix it. It would be a short-term fix of the same problem. So eventually I called the, called the company, right? I call the company. I explain the issue. I tell them what's going on. I give them my name. I give them you know, my, my phone number, all that stuff, right? And it's not resolving the issue, it's not resolving the issue, and they, they forward me to somebody else, I'm sitting there on hold, and, and then they forward me again, I'm explaining my issue, and they're telling me they, they have no record of this, that on their end, it looks fine. And, and so I'm sitting there in the living room, and I'm on hold, and I'm fuming at this point, right? Like, like you have, I, you know that time when you have memorized, you have it burned into your brain, the hold music that you've just heard over and over and over again? And you've heard how they much just so appreciate our patience and please hold the line. Well, Heidi finally comes in. She was out and she comes in. She's like, look, what are you doing? She says, I'm on hold with such and such company. She looks at me. She goes, is it, is it for church? I said, no, it's our, our internet is the issue. She goes, Josh, we don't, we don't have internet service with that company here. That's the company that we have internet service at the church. And so I quickly hung up the phone while still on hold so I wouldn't have to tell the person, I'm sorry I screwed that up. But I was so angry and it was all my fault because I confused which company provided what. Or maybe there's some things that make you angry that are a little less trivial, a little bit more serious. Those things that, that, beat you, that you beat yourself up about, that you lose your temper with your kids. You said that thing that you shouldn't. You created a situation where you felt like you were just there. And you're mad at yourself over these failures. You're mad at yourself. You're living with this guilt and this regret. And sometimes I think we become experts at ignoring them. Because I think there's two different kinds of failure here. We, we ignore both. I think there's two that, that kind of categorize these. The first area of regret, the first kind of regret are the duns regrets. 
the regrets, that, the things that we have done, okay? So the, I'm talking about the things that I wish I would never. I'm talking about the times where we've told lies, the relationships we've torpedoed, the, the dumb choices we've made, the money we've spent or blew on stupid stuff, or the addictions that we fed. So that's the first type of failure, the first type of regret, the things that we have done. The second one are the things that we have not done, right? The things that we have not done. These are things that we wish we could go back in time and do over. The opportunities we've missed, the time wasted, the the risks we didn't take, the love we left unexpressed, the forgiveness we withheld. In the short term, we tend to beat ourselves up over what we've done. But in the long term, I think we more often beat ourselves up over the things that we have not done right? So so hear that again. In the short term, in the immediate, I wish I wouldn't have done that. In the long term, it's I wish I could go back and do this over again. So today we're going to challenge one another that when we are mad at ourselves, when we are mad at me, and hopefully you're not mad at me, you get the point, like we're mad at ourselves, that we can move forward better. So I want you to take a moment right now, Take a moment right now, whether you're sitting here at 8th Monroe, you're at home, I want you to take a moment, I want you to think about those areas of your life where you have regret, where you're mad at yourself. Think about those areas where that, maybe that one instance, that one incident that you have regret about, you have guilt about, the thing that's been nagging, the thing that you feel like it's just, it's right there, the thing that you wish you wouldn't have done, the thing that you left undone. It could be about relationships, it could be about your finances, your career, opportunities missed, whatever it might be. Sit with that for a second. What is that thing that produces that kind of guilt in your life? All right, so we're identifying the things that have caused us to be angry, right? So what do we do with it? I want to give us three really practical or really really straightforward, but maybe difficult to apply, but biblical realities, okay? I want to give us three realities to help us release this anger. Because if, if we hold on to it, we're stuck, right? There, there's, there's, we can't go back and change the past, and we feel like our future is already set in stone. We feel stuck with that guilt and that regret over our failures. So what do we do with it? How do we understand this moving forward? So what are these three realities? The first one is this. God's grace erases our guilt. So Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, and the church in Rome wasn't like just one singular place. It was this kind of network of house churches, right? And so in that, there was kind of a a general nature that he was trying to write here, but he's also just trying to unify them. So, So so much of the language in the letter to the church in Rome, Romans, in our New Testament, is really about bringing people together on the foundational principles, right? And one of these comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 20, verse 23 and 24. It says this, Paul writes, for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, it's translated different ways. You say, for all of sin, it falls short of God's glory, or what have you. But we all have this human condition, right? Where we all have failures, we've all come up short. So before you beat yourself up on this, hear what Paul does, where he, how he continues to move forward. He says this, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. In his grace, in his grace God makes us right in his sight. Our greatest sins, our biggest failures are not too big for God's grace, God's forgiveness. 
I've had a lot of conversations with people, and I've dealt with this battle myself, this battle of shame and guilt, and the way that shame kind of makes us feel as though we're stuck, and there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to kind of get rid of it. Uh, Paul writes this about that sorrow that comes from this shame. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death that our sorrow can bring us closer to God, can, can connect us as we follow Jesus. Our sorrow, our, our acknowledgement of how broken the situation is or how desperate we are leads to repentance, leads to that change. Because when we choose to repent, we turn away from something that is bad, away from that something is not of God's best, God ends up wiping away our past. In high school, we had this legendary high school uh, varsity basketball coach right? Like nobody messed with him. He was a legend. And one year he had this whiteboard. This whiteboard was this huge thing. It was on the wall of our video room. And so we went in there and he had all of the scouting report listed out. He had who's guarding who. He had the, 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 the tendencies listed. He had the plays, what we were going to run, what we weren't going to run. And it was all right there. And so we went out and that was the first, first game of the year. And we come back to the second game of the year and we look up at the board and it's still the same thing because he had, written, he had written it in a Sharpie, in permanent marker. Now, here's my theory. My theory is, is that he made a mistake, obviously, but he was so embarrassed about his mistake, he didn't tell anybody, because this stayed up for the whole year. We came into the next season, and it had been replaced. But it stayed up for the whole year, and none of us lowly uh, guys on the team said anything, right? Like, we weren't going to bring this up. It was just up there all year round, this old scouting report from week one, essentially, our first game of the year. And he missed out that, that there's some things that we can do. And I think, as cheesy as this is, but stick with me, our guilt can feel that way. Our guilt can feel that way. It's permanent, right? And so he didn't say anything to anybody. And so I think he missed the fact that there are some tricks. There are some tricks to getting a permanent marker off a dry erase marker. And he missed the fact that our guilt isn't nearly as permanent as it feels. Because, man, it sure does feel that way. It feels like there's nothing we can do to change this. It feels like this is going to be a permanent part of our lives. But in fact, we read Scripture, and God is in the business of erasing our guilt. Because we can have our guilt... And if you have a permanent marker and you write a dry erase board, you can take a dry erase marker and you can come over here with that and call, cover over that permanent marker and you can erase it. You can erase what you thought was permanent. Is that a cheesy illustration? Yeah, but you're going to remember it because God erases our sin. God erases our guilt. So that's the first reality. The second reality is this. God's grace defines our identity. So we live in this battle, right? We live in this battle with ourselves between good and evil. And in fact, Jesus talks about the evil and he calls him the father of all lies. See, there's a difference between failing and being a failure. We're told that we are a failure and we fail. And suddenly, suddenly we can start to, to uh, believe that lie that we are a failure. In fact, in the, in the Bible, never is a Christian, never is a Jesus follower, ever, never is that person called a sinner. It's, it's, well, it's very clear that people sin, that people make mistakes, we know that. But never is someone identified as a sinner. They mess up, they have to pursue something better, but they are not given that identity. 
So what is your true identity? Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. He says, All praise to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy. And without fault in his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belonged to his dear son. We were created. We, before we existed, God saw us as pure and blameless because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we had done. So that central question, who am I? If you're a follower of Jesus, that answer is pretty simple. You're not what you've done. You're not what you've left undone. You're not what you've accumulated, what you've lost. You're not what you've achieved or fallen short of. You have been adopted into the family. You are a child of God. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. That is your identity. Reality number three, God's grace guarantees our future. Because that's always the big question, right? In the midst of our failure and our guilt and our shame and our regret, we are concerned about what is this going to mean for the future. We know that there are times where we are mad at ourselves because of what we have done. We are living with our own consequences. Maybe there's a relationship that's been fractured, been broken, a marriage that fell apart, and you have to own up to some of the facts that you were somewhat responsible for that. Maybe for you, there's something you did or said that you wish you hadn't done. Maybe it wasn't your fault at all. Maybe somebody did something to you. They took advantage of you. And it's beyond words painful. And for you, it creates this anger. Why didn't I get out of that? Why didn't I defend myself? Why didn't I stop that? Why didn't other people come to help? I can't change what's happened or what's been done. And you can't change what has happened or what's been done. But because of God's grace, we do have a future. Paul again says this in Romans in chapter 5. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope and glory of God. Think of this image that Paul is painting here. Think of this image that Paul is painting here where he's saying, You have this assurance. You have this grace. Paul goes on, he says this in Philippians, he says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And that word, forget the past, could be literally translated as thoughtless inattention. What are the things in your life that you wish you could give thoughtless inattention to? So here's my hunch. Over the last few minutes, you've thought of something that happened. You've thought about something that caused you to be angry at yourself, that regretful thing, that guilt that you're living with. So the question is, what do you do with it? And I just went through all those things, those biblical realities, but you still might be asking yourself, what am I supposed to do with this? How do I live differently? How, I, I want to be released from this, this guilt. I want to be freed from this. But right now, I want you to hold into your mind, hold on to it in your mind, that thing, that incident, that mistake, that thing that produces so much guilt in your life. Maybe you can write it down. Maybe if you're at home, you can do that. If you're here at 8th Monroe, you can do that. No one's going to check that. You're not turning that in, but, but sit with this. What is that thing? What is that behavior, uh, that pattern of behavior? What is that, that thing that has produced guilt in your life? 
Hold on to it. Sit with it for a minute. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Pastor and author Max Lucado says this. He says, the wasted years of life, the poor choices of life, God answers the mess of life with one word, grace. You're sitting there, you're holding on to something, right? You're thinking about something. You're remembering something. Maybe you're even reliving something right now. Maybe it started really small and it ballooned. The answer to it is grace. Those three things that you're holding into your mind, that, that three things, that, that, or the, 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 the thing you're holding in mind that produces the guilt and the regret, there's three things that we need to continue to come back to. The first, that God erases your guilt. God erases your guilt. If we are holding on to something, in some ways we are, we are kind of punishing ourselves needlessly. Because in the economy of God, and as we pursue Jesus, God forgives completely. We've got to deal with consequences. We've got to deal with circumstances from it. We've got to deal with the real world. But in God's eyes, we're, we've been freed. We've been forgiven. And not only that, God, God's grace defines your identity. Not only are you forgiven, you're given the place. You are brought to the head table. You are given honor and privilege. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Your identity has been changed. You've been adopted into the family. Your last name has changed. You have a new home. You have safety and security that doesn't come from wealth, doesn't come from circumstance, but comes because the king of the universe calls you son, calls you daughter. And as we look ahead, God's grace guarantees your future. As you hold on to that thing, that area of life that produces guilt or produces shame, that produces, that causes you to be mad at yourself. Maybe in your mind's eye, or maybe if you've written this down, why don't you just write over top of it, grace. Does it make sense? It's absurd. It's not fair, because you haven't done anything to earn it, and yet it's given to you. This is the way of Jesus. This is what it means to embrace grace, to follow. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the ways that we celebrate grace is through communion. So if you're at home and you have these communion elements, you got crackers, you got juice, you got whatever. You're here in this space, you're here at 8th Monroe, we have these prepackaged containers, these communion cups. And we embrace grace by celebrating communion. This is a way that we can be reminded. So we are reminded of the fact that we are given something freely. We are reminded of the fact that at that first communion, at that first Lord's Supper, at the Last Supper, right? Those guys in the room, they needed God to erase their guilt. They need God to continue to erase their guilt as they move forward because they're going to make huge mistakes. They're so caught up in the things that they think they understand what's going on that they need God to rewrite their identity. That they are no longer who they belong to, their people. They are no longer what they do for a living. They are no longer what they've done and what they haven't done. And in the midst of that fear of realizing that Jesus is going to the cross, God rewrites their history. He guarantees their, their history with grace. And he guarantees their future as well. He says, as you go forward, in the midst of this, you're going to be afraid. But as you go forward, I'm leading you. So embrace grace. 
We do this with communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to do just this. To take of the cup, to take of the bread, to take of the wafer, to take of the cracker, whatever it is you have, and eat it as a way of saying the grace that Jesus showed on the cross was for me. And then you take the cup in the same way and you drink it to celebrate that gift as well. Because whenever we partake as followers of Jesus, partake of this holy symbolic meal, we announce that God's not done. That God has wiped away our guilt. That God has guaranteed and rewritten our identity. And that God has a future for us. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a people who embrace grace. We don't want